You're listening to New England Take on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. You can listen to the New England Take every Friday at 6 p.m., as well as during WKXL in the morning, Mondays in the 6 a.m. hour. And today I'm excited to be joined by a first-time guest, Megan Tuttle. She's the president of the New Hampshire chapter of the National Education Association, more commonly referred to as the NHNEA, or NEA for the National Organization. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So to start off with, what is the NEA to those who aren't initiated? So NEA is the National Education Association. We are a uh, union that represents about 17,000 educators in New Hampshire. So we represent teachers, um, any of the ESP family, which are paraeducators, secretaries, food service workers, aides, bus drivers, custodians. Um, If you work in a school and you're not administration, there's a good chance that we represent you across the state. And that leads to one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today is staffing shortages. This is across the the country right now, if not the world, where uh, people are very having very hard time filling uh, job openings for a handful of reasons, whether it's COVID uh, fears, whether it is, hey, I, I like being at home now <laughs> after having a year of having that opportunity. So career shifts or deciding to be a stay-at-home parent, especially in the realm of teachers, I'd imagine, is a, uh, a factor. So can you speak to what's going on with that? Sure. So like you said, there's a lot of reasons that positions are going unfilled this year. Um, You know, we had a sub shortage before this pandemic happened, and that's just, you know, the pandemic kind of exacerbated it and just made it a lot worse. But we also have positions, teaching positions not being filled, pair positions not being filled. Um, A lot of it has to do with there's burnout. Educators from last year are just burnt out. They're done. It was a really hard year for everybody. They, um, you know, they did the best they could. They switched on a dime's notice the year before when the pandemic started. They did all last year with Zoom or room and Zoom in some places. Um, You know, the morale for educators was great when the pandemic was happening. People understood for a short time what was actually going on in a classroom and the work that educators actually put in. And then things started to shift. And, you know, the attitude towards educators right now is not what it was. And educators are are burnt out. They are... um, they're really, really tired um, from everything they've been doing. So, you know, part of it is not being seen as professionals. Part of it is a lack of respect for the profession. Um, you know, the safety aspect is a really big piece of this. The, the New Hampshire's back in person five days a week, which is great. We know that's the best way for children to learn. Um, but there's some still some, you know, concerns out there about safety measures that may or may not be put into place as simple as masking. Um, you know, really does get to the heart of of what's going on. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's tough. You know, Dover eliminated, I think, 30 positions to help balance their budget, and they still haven't filled them all. I mean, it's, this is happening. This is real. And so what happens when you don't have the positions filled? Class sizes go up or needs of the children aren't being met like they were before. Um, There's just, it's a, it's a really big ripple effect of not being able to fill an educator position. Yeah, it's a real. It's entirely a systemic issue because it the because it's publicly funded. We're talking about public K through twelve basically right now. Right. Um, it, it's the taxes definitely were not coming in this past year to the state or the cities that previously happened. Tourism was already in disarray due to the warm winters we've had in the state, and then add in a virus that stopped uh, regular 
com- just commercial uh, retail things like that that would have ordinarily happened. Like the grocery stores did manage to hold out pretty well, but there's no income tax coming from that or taxes coming from that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it, you know, like you said, it's a ripple effect. You look back at how property taxes in New Hampshire are being funded and that doesn't hold up well when contracts come around. If things aren't good, contracts don't get passed. Um, you, I don't think anybody can say that, you know, educators in New Hampshire are making tons of money. They're yeah, not no. in it for the money. I mean, I, I was a teacher for 18 years. I taught eighth grade social studies. You know, I've been in that position and the educators here do it for the kids. They really do. They love what they do and they're amazing at what they do. But when you add in all those outside forces, you know, lack of respect, just safety issues, um, people not truly understanding what's happening in the classroom, um, it puts a lot of stress on the educators and, and they're really feeling it. And like you said, it's, you know, early retirements, finding another job, a career change, things like that. It's it's tough. So speaking for New Hampshire, I mean, what is the rate of new teachers that come in every year on a regular year? Like, has that been on an incline up until COVID or was it kind of stable? Um, It was, you know, there's been a teacher shortage, if we're just speaking about teachers, for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. Less and less people are going into the profession for a number of different reasons. And if you go into it, the highest rate of teachers leaving the profession is within the first five years. And a lot of that is because they don't feel supported um, either by administration or by their communities. Um, And so that was happening before the pandemic, but then when you add the pandemic onto it and just the added stressors that came with it, it really just made, you know, everything all that much worse. Um, It was a tough year, you know, they, the educators in the state, our kids are always ranked within the top five for education. We do an amazing job. But when you have teachers trying to teach online and in the classroom, what we refer to as room and Zoom, that's a that's a recipe for disaster. It's an entirely you know? different thing. I mean, these these. I mean, any teacher that ha- was um, educated in the profession more than the last five years ago, they have not experienced it. I mean, I work in higher education support staff. And it was an entirely new thing to to tell these. I, I felt horrible for our, our professors that were sixty and up because they're like yeah. a bunch of them left. They said, "I can't teach this way. I'm I'm used to the Socratic method where there's back and forth and it's consistent." That's you don't get that in the same fashion, and we saw it a lot with uh, a lot of the hands-on where there's writing. Um, it's impossible to really do it efficiently. You really need to have one-on-one. It's um, it's easier to do entirely remote opposed to the hybrid situation. Right. And we know, I mean, it's it's been proven being back in school is the best thing. And that's where the educators want to be. Um, but there's just so many external forces right now that are pushing in on education that are making it really, really tough. And it's really sad to see just because we know that, you know, children are the investment in our future. Children are our future. And we want them to have that education foundation. And we want to make sure that they're getting everything they need for their future. Um, but with everything else that comes into play, it's not possible for educators to go into the school and just be teachers anymore or just be um, paraeducators or aides or whatever their position is. School is so much more than just going into to teach right now. And that's so you add all the pressures in. And, you know, if you can do something else, make some more money, I I see why they're doing it. It's, it's really sad because this is the best profession I think there is, um, you know having done it for 18 years and 
just truly loving what what you do every day it's hard but the teachers the educators in new hampshire they're burnt out <laughs> they really yeah. are and before we uh, before we dive into vaccines and masking i, I mean i'd love mm-hmm. to hear what uh what your organization is thinking would be a, a a way out of the current situation with regards to the morale of the teachers and incentivizing new teachers to want to come to the state I think the biggest thing, and this is across the country, but definitely here in New Hampshire, respect the profession. You know, educators are professionals. Teachers went to school. They have their licenses. Um, You know, they used to be certifications, but they renew them every three years, and they're always doing continuing education and professional development. This is a profession. This isn't something that anybody can just walk into the classroom and do. Not everybody knows the pedagogy. Not you know you might have content knowledge, but that doesn't mean that you can automatically walk into a classroom and teach children. And I think that's the piece that was really missing. So support from the community, support for you know the fact that we are a profession and we are professionals in what we do. There are some people who can come in and, and do it well, but the majority of people they don't have the background in pedagogy, how children's minds work, psychology, all that you know, brain development, all that goes into what you do when you get your your um, your license for teaching, and so that's got to be a big part of it. We need support and just respect from from everybody that this is an actual real profession. Which sounds silly that we even have to say that, but I think that goes a long way, you know, with with educators anywhere, but especially New Hampshire. How do you go about doing that, though? I mean, is it? I mean, something that it was kind of like it popped up in my head before when I was thinking about this through COVID so I've got a, a seven-year-old he's he's in second grade uh is when I'm hearing especially with how political everything got during this with regards to what is being taught um like it, would it be a matter of posting what the syllabus is for the year like these are the things that are going to be taught in your class so that the parents feel a little more aware of what's being put out there is it uh go ahead oh I was just going to say none of that's ever a secret I mean, everything we do in the classroom is open. It's public education. So we are taking every child in, no matter what their background or their story is, and we're educating them every day. And I I don't know. <laughs> I wish I had a good answer on how to do this. I think the messaging just has to be out there that, you know, the teachers that are in your child's classroom are not necessarily the ones making the decisions that people are getting angry about. Teachers go in to teach. Educators go in to educate. And I say educators because, you know, the attack really is on schools, not necessarily just the actual teacher. There are so many people in the schools that make this whole thing happen. Um, but, you know, it's I think the anger and all the politicizing of everything, it's being targeted at the wrong group. Teachers are not the ones that make those decisions. School boards make decisions. Administration make decisions. Teachers follow through with those. And so I think, you know, maybe stepping back and realizing that it's not necessarily your child's fifth grade teacher or 10th grade English teacher or third grade teacher that is saying, this is what we're gonna do. They have they have standards to follow. They have rules that they follow. They're taking direction from um, administration, school boards, Department of Ed, et cetera. So, you know, I think we just need to look further at where this this anger and these politics are really being geared towards and realize it's probably on the wrong people. And I don't, this isn't necessarily your end of things, but I almost feel like there needs to be a better infrastructure out there for people to be aware. 
Um, I, the, I agree. The, the school school websites are a mixed bag depending on what district or individual school within the district you're in. Um, I mean, just trying to find the damn school menu for, for what's going to be served <laughs> for lunch sometimes. It's like, oh, I yeah. can go to three websites. What am I doing? Um, I think part of it, too. I mean, I totally agree with that. Like I said, I have three kids in public school, so I know, I mean, trying to navigate the websites to find anything can sometimes be tough. But the other thing, too, is, you know, I think parents need to not just make assumptions. They need to get to know their child's teacher also. I mean, I'm in direct communication with two of my children's teachers constantly. They know me. I know them. I mean, that's one of the good things about having community schools, neighborhood schools, things like that. You know, you have that connection. I think if you know them, you start to get a different sense of what's actually going on. They're not just a figure in school anymore. They're a person. And so you start to realize that, you know, all the teachers, I mean, I'll be quite honest, every teacher that I've ever come in contact with, every para, every, you know, secretary, food service workers, they truly do care about the kids yeah. that they work with every day. I mean, and that's, you know, that's what it really comes down to with the messaging is they're people too and they're not making the decisions that they're being slammed for and so be in contact with them be in communication with them if you have a question it doesn't have to be an attack talk to them yeah. i'm sure you know that it can be worked out but that's that's missing that whole communication piece is missing in a lot of places not everywhere in a lot. And another side of it that, I mean, personally, it, it's, um, I, I'm very openly quite libertarian when it comes to how, how I feel like the government should be organized. And, uh, but I still feel like it's important that my kid goes to a public school. I think it's very important. Uh, and I feel like a better way of handling it is like our, like currently my son's teacher sends a weekly message. Hey, this is what we're going to be covering this week. And if personally I think something, I don't necessarily agree that maybe this is the way it should be. I just talk to my kid and it causes a dialogue and it causes my kid to think critically of what I think, mm -hmm. what the teacher thinks. And it just makes your child think. So it's really important to be plugged into what your kid is learning more than just blaming the institution. And, you know, when we look at public education, it is a contract, if you think about it, that was set up hundreds of years ago, knowing that we have to educate the general public. And yeah. that's really what public education is. I mean, that's why it, it's funded in terms of property taxes. I don't want to get into how New Hampshire funds it because that's a separate, you know, yeah, that's a whole other talk show. <laughs> um, but the fact that it's public tax dollars going to public education, it's there for everybody. And so, like you said, I mean, I think there's, there's a number of parents who are probably not as in tune with what's going on as they could be. Um, you know, there's a number that are, and that's fine, but that dialogue has to be open. The other thing to remember too is, you know, it's public education. So we do have to take every single child that comes through that door and we have to take them where they're at. So they could be coming in not having been fed that morning. Um, they could be coming in not having slept the night before because something happened at home. They could be homeless. They could be, you know, just realizing there's some sort of um, learning disability or something that's happening with them. And we work with them every day on those things. So, you know, there's there's a lot more to what actually happens in a school than I think some people realize. Um, and we all know, I mean, if your basic needs are not being met, you're not you're not in touch with what's going on in class that day. And so it just puts an added burden, added stress. It's just something else onto the educators that they are truly worrying. I mean, teaching, you know, working in a school is not something that, you know, three o'clock comes, whatever time, and you're done, you're at the door, you go home. You're still thinking about those kids all the time. I know I did it. Um, so there is more to it.
Yeah, we got about four minutes left, so I want to be sure to dive into vaccines a little bit yeah. and this, the, the stance that I was really surprised, like right before the school year kicked off, the New Hampshire NEA stood up and said, suggested teachers get vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what that looked like for you guys. We did. So earlier in the summer, we were not in favor of mandating vaccines. Um, it was before Delta variant really kind of took off and it was, you know, circumstances were different. Well, then the circumstances changed. And so I met with my executive board and we had a really open, good discussion and debate as to whether we thought vaccines should be mandated for educators. And what it basically came down to is that it's one of the ways that it's going to help get everybody back into school full-time and keep them there full-time. Now, we're not saying if you have a medical condition or some other reason that you can't be vaccinated, that you have to be. That wasn't it. There's still, you know, the the side of it where there can be testing, weekly testing. Um, But the whole purpose of it really was to use it as one strategy. We've also been very strong advocates of mandating masks in schools because we know that's another piece of the the puzzle that's going to keep everybody safe, along with um, ventilation systems that are up to date, the HVAC systems, a lot of them still hadn't been fixed, Um, you know, hand washing, proper cleaning, all those mitigation strategies put together are going to keep our kids in school full time. You can look around the state and I can't fault anybody for it, but you can look, well, I can fault two people. You can look (laughs) around the state where it's um, masks are optional and how many times have the schools had to close because a cluster broke out. I mean, that's, you know, when the governor and the commissioner of education put this back to local control and local decision, we can see what's happening. It's not that pockets of the state are not are all in a good place right now. The whole state is insubstantial at this point. So why there isn't a mask mandate for schools, I really don't know. But we know it's a way that's going to keep kids safe and in school. And if we look at the places that have had to change from optional to mandatory for however long they choose to, it's because clusters broke out because they were optional. And then you have a sub shortage on top and then you have administrators and other folks trying to scramble and fill the positions. And that's not good for anybody. You know, a mask mandate, it's been proven. Kids are okay with masks. I mean, if you if you look at in general what's been happening, they might not like them, but the kids understand why they're wearing masks. And so, you know, it's about that conversation. It's, it's you know, if you wanna be in school full time, this is one of the ways that it's gonna keep safe. And for us, it also came down to the vaccines for educators. Yeah. We fought to get them earlier prioritization back in the spring. Um, and it's just one more piece where it's going to help keep everybody back in school. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with um, uh, the masking of the children necessarily. Uh, so mm-hmm. That's certainly up for debate, especially in K through four is my biggest concern over it, obviously yeah. for developmental purposes. Uh, but the vaccines definitely it's one of the biggest reasons is a lot of teachers are 50 and up and they are extremely at risk and it it definitely should be uh, they should be persuaded as often as possible to get that vaccine because they are in a room with all these kids. We've talked about up and down this interview how stressful it is right now for them to deal yeah. with it. That does a terrible number to your immune system in addition it to does. already being with these little disease buckets that are adorable and you got to teach all day. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally understand. What's the, nas- we're almost at the end here, but what's the national office saying at this point regarding vaccines? They actually came up before we did with, they want mandated vaccines as well for educators. Yeah, so we actually looked at their statement that they came out with, and that's what we adopted as our own. And so we followed along with National, not because we were just following along. I mean, we read the statement, we went through it. We had a really good, um, I called a special board meeting of my board 
to make sure that, you know, we had that discussion and that debate. And this was something that the, the, the executive board of NEA New Hampshire felt very strongly about. So that's, that's what we, that's what we went with. Thank you so much for joining me today, Megan. Great. Thank you. Megan Tuttle, she's the president of the NEA of New Hampshire. You can learn more about them at neanh.org. You're listening to New England Take and WKXL.